It's also addressing uh, self-worth as well. And so Paul comes into this little section that we're looking at today from verse 17 uh, to 24. And there's a change of emphasis from what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks. And he talks about three different statuses. Three different statuses. So that's, that's our first heading. And we're going to go through these three different statuses that the Apostle Paul is mentioning, that he's bringing to the attention of the Corinthians. Now, none of these statuses would have been a surprise or unusual to the, the Corinthians. This is very much part of everyday life. And these different statuses, he mentions them almost as contrasts. And the first one that is mentioned is not mentioned directly. You have to work a little bit harder uh, for this one. But in verse uh, 17, he talks about not only that each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Now, what, what's he saying there? What's going on here? Well, we have to remember what he's just been talking about. So what I want to propose to you now this morning is this. The first status that Paul is talking about is just coming off the back of the teaching he's given. The teaching that he's given, as we heard last week, was about being married or single. Married or single. And, and so Paul was speaking into the marital status of the Corinthians. And all of the adults within that congregation, all the young people would have understood this. They would have understood that you could separate a congregation, you could separate a body of people into the status of those that are married and those that are single. Now, I know that if you go to, to Facebook and you click on that status there, it comes with a longer list. And within it, you have complicated. And within it, you have all other different things. Yeah, but just quite very simply, the two that are here are you either married or you are single. And, and, and you can be single for a variety of reasons. There were some folk that were never married. There were some people that were married and widowed. There were some people that were married and divorced. There's very re various reasons, and it doesn't matter about those particular reasons. We're just seeing here that, that God assigns a marital status. Folks are signing. He knew that those would be married and those that wouldn't be married. We also know from that previous passage that both status are a gift from God. If you are married, it's a gift. If you are single, it's a gift. And if you are single, God gives you a particular uh, gift to, to, to cope with and enjoy and to be blessed and be a blessing through that situation. And similarly with a marriage, God gives you the, the gift, the ability to be blessed and be a blessing through that situation too. Both statuses have different advantages and disadvantages. We know that the Bible talks very strongly and warmly about being married. Two together are better than one. And then the Apostle Paul is then saying, well, one is better than being two because the one can go off in, in that situation and, and do things of the Lord without having the concerns of being married. So there are advantages and disadvantages. One is not more important than the other. But some of the Corinthians, on their conversion were being tempted to leave their non-believing spouse. So they were married, they were non-believing, one of them became a believer, and then there was a temptation that they would leave their marital partner. Uh, there was a temptation there, as we, we read previously, that they were talking about this, this, this whole idea of 
it is good for a man not to have sexual relations, and some of them were tempted to, to, to separate in their, in their marriage because they felt that the only way to keep sexually pure was by not having sex at all, and that these were all wrong. And so, there was this teaching also going around that marriage was, was bad and it was more spiritual to be single. And some people were staying single when they should be married, and some people were becoming single when they should have stayed married, and it was, it was a bit of a mess. But ultimately, what Paul is saying here is being married or single at that moment in time was an identity. It was like a badge. It's a badge you wore. You were married. Married. But you're single. You're single. It was an identity. And the other big area of difference different statuses, was the second one that we come up with in this passage. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Now for us now, 2,000 years on, it's probably not really a big deal, but it was a big deal for them then. Within the church family, there were some that taught that you could only be a Christian if you were circumcised. They went back to the Old Testament, they were probably Jewish folk, they were known in, in, in God's Word and Acts as the circumcision party, uh, and, and they used to persuade young believers and pressurize and shame people into getting circumcised. These young men were, and old men were, were pressurized because there was this notion, this thought, this false teaching that the only way that you could truly be a Christian was to be circumcised. But alternatively, at this same time within the culture, people wanted to reject their Jewishness. And there were many Gentiles, non-Jews, that despised circumcision. And, and they considered it to be mutilation. Now, what, not wanting to be too explicit and open about this, you could just say, well, circumcision and uncircumcision is such a personal thing, no one's really going to know about it. Well, that is a nowadays, for sure. But in those days, public baths, uh, sporting activities... There was a lot of nakedness going on. Not between the sexes, but the men would bathe together in public baths. If you want to see these public baths, you go to Salamis and you can see how it all worked. And they'd all be wandering around. And, and, and within the, the sporting arena, sporting activities, they didn't have lycra in those days. They would be running around in, in their, like Mowgli, shall we say, in, in, their, in, in their nakedness. And people could see. And there was a shame. And, and so some young men who were circumcised were embarrassed by their circumcision. And there was a, a procedure that they would do to try and reconstruct what had been cut off. And so there was a mindset that, that, that caused some of these Christian Jews in Corinth to feel ashamed about their circumcision and, and seek this medical procedure to disguise the marks of Circumcision. Now, in the Old Testament, circumcision was a big deal. But now, Paul teaches that the, that the Spirit has replaced circumcision as a sign, and there's no more of any value. You can read about that in Romans 2, uh, 29, and then in Galatians 6:15, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so for the church at Corinth, and society at large, circumcision or uncircumcision was an identity. 
It was a badge. People identified. People were badged. People were thought circumcised or uncircumcised. And the third uh, area, the third uh, different status is free or bond servant. Free or bond servant in the uh, ESV that I have open here, which I think is possibly the American one that has the word slave. And I think the English one has bond servant or vice versa. I'm not quite sure uh, on that. But effectively, it's, it's, it's the, same, the same word. And, and the, another big issue of the day that people would be evaluated by was being free or a bond servant or a servant or, or a slave. Now, the understanding and what comes into our minds now as slave is actually very different to what was going on then. And I'm not saying what was going on then was right, but it's very, very different to, to what we understand of, of, of slavery now. Slavery is a very emotive subject. It's often linked with oppression and racism. And, and both those things, God's word speaks out against. God's word speaks out against oppression. It speaks out against racism. And it is wrong. And we must never see this passage. And this passage is not saying that slavery, as we know it now, is correct. There's no justification for, for slavery as we understand it now or witnessed it over uh, the history in the, in the past few centuries. Now, there were slaves that were treated horrendously in the first century. And those slaves used to be, tend to be the ones that were as a result of a war. So a, a conquering army would take slaves, those slaves that were prisoners of war, they would often have a very difficult time. But the, the vast majority of slaves, on the most part, slaves or bond servants were not actually treated badly. And I think in many ways that the best way of seeing it now and thinking of it now is the difference between being employed and being self-employed. If you are working for somebody else, you are employed. You have a boss, and your boss tells you what to do. Well, in that day and age, so many people would have been employed, but the way their employment worked would be as a slave or a bond servant. And these people could be professionals. A bond servant could be a doctor. A bond servant could be a master craftsman. A bond servant could also be someone who did the cooking or the cleaning. There's a whole array of people within that. They didn't have total freedom or autonomy. That's absolute and that's right. But they did have security. They did have protection. They had means. They had a status from their master. And if their master was a high-ranking official, as a bond servant in that, you got status. You, you, your, your level was raised. And in reality, some freeborn Greeks chose to become prominent bond servants in Roman households to become Roman citizens. So they could see this. They were free, but they would give up their freedom to become a bond servant because as that bond servant in that family, it would mean that they may get citizenship. Of Rome, and that was something to be wanted. That was something that they were. Now, 
that said, often free men would think of themselves as better than bond servants. And, and people that were concerned about their social status, concerned about what they were going to get out of life, would think out very carefully. Is it better for me to be a freeman? Or is it better for me to be a bondservant? How can I better myself? How can I get on in life? And so being free or a bondservant was identity. It was identity. It was a badge that people would label you. Are you married? Are you single? Are you circumcised? Are you uncircumcised? Are you free or are you bondservant? Now, because of these differences, because these differences were, were valued as identity in society, people would actually work hard to change their status, to enhance their identity. So some people would, would want to move through these different identities. Single people would want to become married, and married people would want to become single. And we spoke about those in the circumcision and uncircumcision, but also we see it very clearly with the bond of the free. And Paul was turning around to these Corinthians and saying, these distinctions, these differences are not the big deal. In Corinth and in Corinth society, people used to get worked up about this. People used to get caught up in this. This is what they were thinking about. How do I make the best of my life? Would it be better for me to become a bondservant? Would it be better for me to get my freedom and, and break away from a bondservant and be a freeman? What can I do about it? How can I make this happen? And Paul was turning around to these Corinthians and saying, look, they're not the big deal that the world tells you they are. These statuses aren't what it's all about. The world's social distinctions do not matter in the church. And what the world values for identity does not matter or hold value within God's economy. God's way of thinking these things through are totally different. And so Paul sets out these different distinctions. They're generic, but they're very real. They make the point. You could think of lots of others back then that you could use for identity. And similarly, we could think of our own situation and come up with our own ones. But I'm just wanting to work through with this as a passage goes. And now Paul is saying to the Corinthians, these differences are not the big deal. They're not the big deal. Why is he saying they're not the big deal? Because he's just saying, stay as you are. Stay as you are. Stay as you are. Stay as you are. If they're a big deal, he said to do something about it. The only one way made a little bit of a distinction was if, if someone who was uh, a slave had the opportunity to, to buy themselves free, so, well, if that happens, you can. But don't get caught up in those things. And then he gives two reasons. And I want to share these two reasons with you under the heading, Our Real status. Our real status. And we see this in the section from verse 22 to the beginning of verse 23. But before we go there, I just want us to, to, to look at the passage as a whole. And then if you put your finger at verse 17 and slowly go down and look at that passage, you'll see the word called on the, on the third line, as it is in my word, in my, in my version here. And then you can see a call a couple of lines later, 
And then as you go through, you can see the word called or called eight times in these eight verses. And this is a side here. When you're studying God's Word, when you're reading God's Word, when you're wanting to get deep into God's Word, one of the good things to do, one of the helpful tools you have, is to look at what words repeated a lot. If there's a particular word that's repeated a lot, something's going on with it. There's something you need to say, well, why is this? Why is this word called and called coming up so often? Why is it being repeated? What does it mean? And what's going on? And in actual fact, although this word is used eight times here, it's used in two different ways. In two different ways. And that can happen very often. The first way, I want to call it a horizontal call. So, so a horizontal call, or, or, or a world call. And, and we see this in verse 17. It's the status that God has called us to in this life. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. Married, unmarried, circumcised, uncircumcised, bond, free. The situation the occupation, where you find yourself in that first example of call is a horizontal call. But then all the others, all the other sevens, are what I'm going to call a vertical call. It's upward. And this is God's saving work. You see, he, he says that, doesn't he? He says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which he has called. This is my rule all the church. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Call. What call is that? That second call. It's a vertical call. At the time that they were saved. At the time they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so this call that comes out this seven other times is salvation. When you were saved. When you were called. When you became a Christian. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to these Corinthians, there are big social distinctions, and they don't matter. They're not the big deal. They affect your life for sure, but they're not the big deal. The big deal is, firstly, they were called by the Lord. They were called by the Lord. The, the number one reason why these distinctions were different, were not a big deal, was because the big deal was these Corinthians, these believers were called by God. They were saved. And being called by God, being saved, trumps all other statuses. This is what Paul is wanting to get into their minds. He's saying there are all these other statuses that you can have, but the one that matters the one that is so important, the one that should dominate your life and your thoughts and what you're doing is this. You have been called by the Lord. Seven times. Called, called, called. And the Corinthians' value, the Corinthians' self-worth is not in their worldly status, no matter how attractive or how important it is to the world, because God has called them. So this was so important for the Corinthians 
Because for the Corinthians, it made sense of the situations they found themselves. Are they married? Are they single? Well, it doesn't really matter because they've been called by God. Are they circumcised? It doesn't really matter because they've been called by God. Are they free or above? It doesn't really matter because they've been called by God. And Paul is wanting to divert their eyes from this horizontal to the vertical. He's saying it's the vertical that matters. It's the vertical that's important. The world is saying to the Corinthians, the horizontal. The world is saying to the Corinthians, oh, it's so important whether you're free or whether you're a bond servant. It's so important whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised. It's so important whether you're single or married. No, it's not. The most important is you've been called by God. And the application is exactly the same for us. You see, when we have an understanding of our calling through Christ, when we have an understanding that we've been saved by grace, when that is at the centre of what we're about, it makes sense of every situation we find ourselves in. Every situation. People are looking for the value of life. What is, what is our value in life? Being called in the Lord gives you true value. You're not just the $17 of a pile of chemicals. You're not even just the, the $54 million of how you can sell your whole body for. You're beyond that. You're not even the amassed earnings that you can get in your whole lifetime. And for some of you, that would be a lot of money. And for some people, it's a huge amount of money. That's not your value. As a Christian, the value is that you are called in the Lord. It gives a purpose in life. You see, these situations here, they could change so quickly. Obviously, that's not such a quick one to change. But single or married, it can happen in a moment. We, we just use Loretta as an example. Woman and married, and now she's widowed. Changed. Gone. The world, the things that the world puts so much value in are so fragile. But if we are called in the Lord, we have a purpose, and we have an eternal purpose. And being called in God gives us contentment in this restless world. The world is a mess. The world is difficult. The world is hard. There are challenges. And if your only satisfaction is in your status that this world has to offer, you will continually be wanting more. I've said it before as a financial advisor. Uh, when I was seeing clients, one of the questions I was taught to ask was, what is your financial aspirations? What do you want to achieve financially? And of all the non-Christian people that I saw, from the, the, the wealthy to mega-wealthy to just well-off, no matter where they were in their status, they always wanted a bit more. It was never quite enough. The, the person with a very healthy income, they could just do with a little bit more. And the person that sat on a, a million pounds in their bank, they just wanted a bit more. And the person that sat on an empire of a business and even more money, they just wanted a bit more. And this world never satisfies. But when you realize that you've been called by God, it makes sense. It fuels obedience. 
If you're struggling in your obedience, if you're struggling with besetting sin, you need to realize that you've been called by God. And with all these differences, it powers unity. But when you're called in the Lord, it powers unity because we realize that we've got a commonality. We're here from different nationalities, from different age groups, from different social backgrounds. And, and, and in some ways we come from different church backgrounds even. But we're here and we're in unity and we're in unity because we're being called of the Lord. Now, one of the main reasons that the churches are in a mess nowadays, one of the reasons why many individual Christians are in a mess, their lives are in a mess, one of the main reasons that many Christians are not growing spiritually, maybe you want to ask yourself, am I growing spiritually? Because if you're not, this could be the reason. And one of the main reasons that churches and Christians are not doing evangelism as they should do, and maybe if you're not doing evangelism, you should do, you'd be thinking about this. The, the, the main reason, one of the main reasons for this is because people have lost sight of their identity and their value in Christ. And the world has come into the church. And yes, we have Christ. And yes, we sing hymns about Christ. And yes, we know about him. But we're put him there. And what's become more important is all this stuff that the world tells us is so important. And Paul was screaming at the Corinthians and saying, look, that's not the big deal. The big deal is you are called in the Lord. You've been called by the Lord. You've been brought into it. And, and, and as believers, so much emphasis has been put onto the world's values. And so much emphasis of these world's values is they actually start thinking that God's job and the church's job is to give these world's values. And so you have prosperity being preached and wealth and health and position and occupation. And then God's been brought down to the level of he's going to provide me my value in this world. And so rather than being called by God, people are thinking, no, God, I'm going to call on God because God's going to give me what I want, what I need. I need a promotion. God will give it to me. I need an education. God will bring it to me. I need, and then it all comes around with this, this trend nowadays of declarations. I'm sure you've heard of declarations. I want to share a declaration with you that I, that I read this week. I declare that God will accelerate his plan for my life. Well, we could actually eat that, couldn't we? Perhaps that means you're going to die tomorrow. Because eventually we're all going to die. That's God's plan. What, what acceleration is this, yeah? Anyway. I will accelerate his plan for my life as I put my trust in him. It's always good to put your trust in him. I will accomplish my dreams faster than I thought possible. It will not take years to overcome obstacles, to get out of debt, or to meet the right person. God is doing things faster than before. He will give me my victory sooner than I think. He has blessings that will thrust me years ahead. This is my declaration. Please don't say it. Please don't say it. Because that is horizontal. That's not vertical. That's not Christ-centered. That's rubbish. That's using God to be your fairy godmother. 
It's using God to get the status that you want. My dreams. My obstacles. My debt. Meet the right person. It's tragic, isn't it? This is what's happening in the church. And this is what's going on. I don't know what Paul is saying to the Corinthians then and what Paul is saying to us now is this is not what it should be. We shouldn't be craving after the things that the world has to offer. We're to be reminded and to be remembered that we're being called in the Lord. Our value is not in our bank account. Our value is not in our education. Our value is not in our status, whether it be married or single, or whether it be a CEO, or whether it be a medical doctor, whatever, that is not where our value is. Our value is we are called in Christ. And, and this world is, is full of, of, of the notion that you need self-esteem and self-importance and self-love. And all these things are obsolete when we truly know and hold the fact that we are called in the Lord. We were called in the Lord, we will have a righteous self-esteem because we'll be esteeming ourselves in Christ. When we are in Christ, we'll have a right sense of our importance because we'll see it in the context of who God is and who we are. It seems that the Paul was concerned that these Corinthians were being tempted to be tempted to be happy with their calling but still going after what society told them was important you see it's easy for us to say oh we're not like that but there's a tension and we have this tension around us and it's like I want my cake and I want to eat it I don't know if that expression is one that you have you've got a nice cake that looks good and you like it there's my cake. As soon as you've eaten it, the cake's gone, and we want to have both. And we can be just the same. We want the blessings of salvation, but at the same time, we want the enjoyment of the world. Now, yes, God has given us the world to enjoy, but that's not what this life is about, and that's what Paul is saying. And maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, I, I can enjoy the world, but I'm not going to do big, dark sins. And that's fine. But when your work becomes more important than Christ, when your education takes first place, when your money-making is becoming the obsession, when finding a partner becomes an obsession, when promoting your social media becomes an obsession, that is when it's, God's getting pushed out. You think, well, I'm not obsessed by it. Okay. Praise God. How much time do you spend on these things? You see, I've seen godly businessmen who have been part of a church family. And you've seen them committed, committed in the midweek meetings, committed on the Lord's Day meeting, committed in their giving, and then over a period of time they just about make an appearance on Sunday. And they're busy in their business, and they're busy in their business, and they're busy in their business, and although they never admit to it, the business has become more important. 
friends, is, is your education, is your status there what's most important? Is your family? You see, we have to be really careful with them. We, we have to really, really be careful because Paul ramps it up and he says, yes, you were caught. But he also tells them that they were bought with a price. They are called and you were bought with a price. Bought with a price. Paul wanted the Corinthians to remember that they were not just called, but they were bought with a price. Now, now in that, in the culture of that day, and when we thought about this, in the culture of that day, one's freedom could be bought with a price. You could be working for somebody, you could be their bond servant, and you wanted to free yourself, and you could negotiate with them, and, and you could buy your way out of it. And in that day and age, people's freedom could be sold. You could sell your freedom to get yourself out of debt. You could sell your freedom to get yourself into a position where you get uh, Roman status. And so just as slaves were sold and bought, bond servants were sold and bought, just as freedom could be sold and bought. Paul is telling to these Corinthians, they were bought with a price. It would be very real to them. It might be something that's more difficult for us to understand because we haven't got that same uh, situation going on. I was trying to work out some elaborate illustration, including a bride price, but as our discussions went yesterday, I realized that was not going to be the right way to do it. It wouldn't work. But, but, but we, can, we understand our prices, don't we? We understand when we owe somebody something. If, if you have some work done, you, you, you have a bill to pay. If you're having education, you have a, a bill to pay for your education. And if you pay for your education, you bought it. You own that education. You own the right for that education. If I buy a car, I buy that car, and that car has become my possession. I can drive that car, and I can do what I like with that car, because I have bought it. It is my car. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, your salvation, your calling, has come with a price. You've been bought. And the, the, the price that's been bought, and let's, let's make be clear on this, the price is not paid to the devil to free us. That's not what this is about. There is a punishment that our sins deserve. There is a justice that needs to be done. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God in his purity, God in his holiness, God in his righteousness has to ju justly punish sin. You can't just say forget it, it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters intensely to God. And this God of love is also a God of anger and his wrath is against sin and wickedness and debauchery and just a pink lie. It's all sin in his eyes. And God's wrath is mounting up on it. And it's that wrath that needs to be appeased. It's that punishment that needs to be paid. And the price that was paid is Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into this world as both God and man. In that amazing way that we can't get our heads around. Jesus here lived in, as a man, Jesus lived here as the God-man. 
Jesus lived in this world a perfect, sinless life, and he was tempted just like we are. In fact, he was tempted a little bit more than just like we are. Because none of us have gone into the wilderness and had the devil speaking to us directly. It might have felt like it at times, but not like Jesus. Jesus was tempted beyond anything we could have. Jesus has been through all the different situations. Jesus knows the emotions that we go through. He saw death face to face. He saw hurt. He saw pain. He saw joy. He saw happiness. He saw girls to lust after. And he never did. He never, ever sinned. Neither outwardly nor inwardly. He was pure. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus, the sinless, went to the cross. And he went to the cross to give up his life, to die, to pay the price for the sins of his people. This is the price that was paid for the Corinthians. This is what the Apostle Paul was telling them. This is what he wanted them to wake up to. Yes, there's everything going on in your life around you. You're married, you're single, you're circumcised, you're uncircumcised, you're free, you're born, but that's not the big deal. Christ has called you. God has called you. You've been brought into his family. And it was expensive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his son up. And God saw his son nailed to the cross. God realized that the wrath that our sins deserved, the sins of his people, would have to be put upon Christ himself. And it was so painful, and it was so immense, that the world was covered in darkness. And Christ himself called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment in time in this world, but outside of time in eternity, Christ God's Son, the Son of God, was taking on the sins of his people. And Paul was screaming at the Corinthians and saying, Look, the big deal is not what this horizontal has to offer. The big deal is the vertical. Christ has paid the price for your sins. Christ has made you right. What a price. And for those of us here this morning who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, that is the same for us. That is our calling. We are called by God and that same price is paid. Jesus has paid it all. I just want to ask you, what is your status? What do you think about that? Is your status and value and the horizontal? Or is your status and value in the fact that you've been called and that amazing price has been paid? Paul never leaves people with just a statement, but he demands an action. And we see two action points to come out of this. And he was teaching the Corinthians there's two things you need to do in the light of this. And so acting on our true status is the last heading. And there's two areas here. One of them is a negative, and one of them is a positive. And he speaks to them, and he brings a negative first. And he says, do not become a bondservant of men. Do not become a bondservant of men. 
There are some people that said that's tied up with the previous about those that are free and they shouldn't sell their freedom and the rest of it. I'm, I'm, I'm not with that. I, I believe this is for all the Corinthians in, in a figurative speaking. He's not talking on making a commentary on slavery per se here. He's speaking figuratively. He's turning around to these Corinthians and saying, don't get caught up in the world. The world is concerned about free and bond. The world is concerned about status and money-making. The world is concerned about circumcision and uncircumcision, marital status in that situation. He's saying, don't see your value in the world. Don't become a bond-servant to men. When you serve the horizontal, you are a slave to the world. Maybe some of you here are a slave to your education. Some of you here are a slave to your desire and your dreams of what you want to achieve. Maybe some of you here are slave to your family. And look, these things are good, they're not bad. But when they take the place of the vertical, they're awful. Don't become a bond servant of men, don't become a servant of this world. Christ has paid the price. He's saved you from this. And so often we think of Christ saving us from sin and we shouldn't sin, and that's right. But also it affects the whole way we live and our whole attitude. And sin isn't just murdering or adultery or those things that we think of. Sin is actually putting those things before God. Sin is actually having that horizontal as being our master rather than the vertical. Christ who's called us. And then he goes on to them and says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. The negative is, don't become a slave of the world. Don't get caught up in the world. And the antidote, the positive, he says, remain with God. Stay with God. Paul was telling the Corinthians, do not lose God. Don't let go of him. Hold on to him. Stay content with your status. Stay content with your work. Stay content with your relationship. The big deal is remain with God. Work on that relationship. Work in that. Delight in what Christ has done for you. Delight in your calling. And that is the center of your everything. Remain with God. Within the church at Corinth, there were people who saw, they were desiring, they were desperate in to be upwardly mobile. They wanted to gain the next level of status, the next level of wealth. And they missed the point. They'd forgotten that they were called, they'd forgotten they were bought with a price. And this, this is a common problem in the church now. There's a covetous, self-determining, self-driven search for upward mobility, which is not our identity, and it's not our value, because it's not connected to the call of the Lord. Now, now it's not wrong to have aspirations. When aspirations take first place, when Christ gets pushed out, when our calling gets Forgotten, and the fact that we will be paid for for a price, it is a problem. And we need to guard against it. 
But I also want to note something that perplexed me a little bit. Because with this circumcision and uncircumcision, it was a strange one. Because for most of the people that found themselves circumcised in those days, they had no say in it that they would be circumcised on the eighth day. An eight-year-old baby doesn't say, excuse me, where's my consent form? I want to sign my consent form. He has no say in it. And so there would be a whole load of people that had that status and they had no say in it. I was thinking, why is this fair? What's this all about? And then I, uh, I was thinking, and, I, and this is what I want to say. Is for some of us here today, you will have had no say in your status. Things will have been thrust upon you that you've had no control of. You didn't choose it. Some of you today may be struggling with mental torment, mental illness. Some of you may be disabled in one way or another. Some of you may have got families that are dysfunctional or problems that we don't know about that are very real, but they're not something that you made, but they're something that has happened to you. And they affect the status of who you are. Health issues, mental issues, all, all these different things. And, and not for a moment am I going to discount the, the, the challenge that those things are to you. And, and the pain that they give to you. What I am going to say to you is the big deal is not looking to have those things taken away. The big deal is what you have and what you are in Christ. This is the wonder of it all. You've been called and you've been redeemed and you are Christ and your identity is not your trial. Your identity is not your mental illness. Your identity is not your disability. Your, your identity is not that dysfunctional family. Your identity is you are called in Christ. And Christ has paid that price for you. And you have people that are refugees. And you have people that have been abused. And you have people that have suffered in all manners of ways. And friends, when you come to Christ, that is not your identity. That's pushed on the side. It's real. It's painful. But what is bigger is that vertical. And your value isn't in what someone placed upon you in the past. And your value is not what someone else thinks of you. Your value is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins and give you an eternity. That's your true value. And that's the hope in this messed up world. But in this social media age, we talk a lot about status, don't we? Maybe you daily update your status, I don't know. Friends, I want to ask you this in closing. What does your profile, what does your status say about you? What you show off on Instagram, what you post on WhatsApp, what you're portraying on Facebook, what you're tweeting on Twitter, 
And for those of you that don't do any of that, what you're thinking about yourself in your head, what you're trying to show off to the world, what value have you put on yourself? Have you diminished yourself to a picture of that size? Have you diminished yourself to a tweet? Have you diminished yourself to a title, a doctor? Have you diminished yourself to an occupation? Because friend, if it's anything less than hashtag called and redeemed, you're selling yourself short, the child of God. You are selling yourself short. And worse still, you're in danger of selling yourself out. Because the only value that matters is that we're called. And the only value that we have is because we've been redeemed. As I was telling the Sunday school children, what a value that is. Jesus, eternally priceless, is the value that God puts on us. So friend, what is your self-value? What is your status as you leave here this morning? I want to give you a moment to, to think about that, and then we're going to close in singing the hymn, Christ alone. But please take a moment to think and pray over what we've been hearing this morning.